So we're in a series over 1 Corinthians, Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. And if you have your Bibles, uh, I would like you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And today's text is verses 10 through 17. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 17. And I'll be reading, and the title of our message today is Celebrity Personalities and the Person of Christ. Celebrity Personalities and the Person of Christ. Say that with me. Celebrity Personalities and the Person of Christ. Of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there's quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas. Cephas, that's Hebrew for Peter, the apostle Peter. Or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. This is God's Word. Heavenly Father, how grateful we are to gather here in this place. For wherever we are is holy because you are holy. I'm mindful now that all over the world, brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ are gathered, making much of you, hearing your word, being nourished by time together in fellowship. God, we need you to nourish us. We pray that your word would feed us. Unite us, Lord, as one body. May it be said of our church family how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters at Windsor Road Christian Church are united together under one King Jesus. May our community see that and feel that and turn to you because of that. 
And may the congregations that are gathering here in our community this morning portray such a unity, an authentic unity, that those who do not know you in our community may look to you and turn to you. Now, Lord, help me get out of the way so that your word may be clearly communicated and heard and applied. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And the church said, amen. Amen. Celebrity. Let's talk about the word celebrity today. First Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 17 are about the danger of celebrity. These Corinthians have created pulpit celebrities from servants of Christ. Could you feel that as I was reading these verses? Someone once defined a celebrity as one who is known for his well-knownness. And I like this definition. A celebrity is someone who works all his life to become known and then wears dark glasses to avoid being recognized. <laughs> Most of us would appreciate that there's a difference between celebrity and greatness. And, and most would agree that there's a difference between being a celebrity versus being a public figure. Queen Elizabeth is a public figure. Albert Einstein, public figure. But a celebrity? Celebrity, at least to me, seems to imply branding or image management. A celebrity involves projecting a persona that's separate from the person. So, so there's a public face, and then there's a private or personal face. There's a stage presence, but then, you know, there's this private personal sector of this individual's life that seems to be off limits. As a celebrity is about telling a larger than life story that resonates with people. And as a result, a celebrity is someone whom others feel an intimate connection even though there's no relationship. So, celebrities are people who are known by those who don't know them. 
And, and, and have you noticed there's a peculiar power granted to celebrities by their admirers? And that, that the power of influence. So a celebrity is someone whose own appearance and tastes influence the appearance and tastes of others. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking of clothing trends that can be traced back to a celebrity. Uh, in the 1990s, uh, I remember a head coach at our basketball team at the U of I who used to wear mock turtlenecks to their games. Does anybody know who I'm talking about? Lon, you get it. You know, right? Well, then I read, kept reading the papers, and I would see these pictures of, you know, area high school basketball coaches. Guess what they wore to their games? How interesting that is. This power to influence. Uh, I can tell you right now that the paint color in my living room, warm, light gray, uh, and my white kitchen cabinets, along with the white subway tile, had something to do with one of those HDTV hosts. See? All this to make this point. Celebrities don't make celebrities. People do. People do. Audiences do. Our text here is about an audience, a congregation who created pulpit celebrities and in doing so threatened to fracture the united church of Jesus Christ. And Paul addresses this. It's one of the core reasons why he wrote 1 Corinthians. So let me just front load the lesson for today. Here's the big idea. Please, please don't follow a personality. Follow the person of Christ. Please don't follow a personality. Follow the person of Christ. That's the lesson this morning. Now, this text is a problem-solution text. So I want us to consider first the problem of <laughs> celebrification. Celebrification. The manufacturing of celebrity personalities. The problem. What that problem looked like in the Corinthian church. And then I want to talk about the solution. What's the solution? What's the problem? What's the solution? First, the problem. Well, this letter is a real letter written to real people about a real life situation. And in Acts chapter 18, around the year A.D. 50 or 51, the Apostle Paul came to Corinth after planting churches in Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea, and he preached in Athens. Uh, and in each of those places, he had uh, received stiff resistance. And when he got to the city of Corinth, uh, which is in a little neck of land that connects the lower part of Greece to the upper part of Greece, uh, he came to this Roman colony. And it was the largest colony in the empire. It was a city of around 80 to 100,000, which was quite a size in that day. 
Paul met a Christian couple of Hebrew ethnicity named Priscilla and Aquila. And Paul and Priscilla and Aquila supported themselves uh, by what Luke tells us in the book of Acts. They were leather workers or tent makers. When you see tent maker, uh, think Paul manufacturing, using, uh, stitching, uh, fashioning leather products. And that's how he supported himself. Uh, And then in addition to that, he preached. And it was... uh, After a discouraging season, Jesus himself, in a vision, encouraged the apostle Paul, saying, Paul, you keep preaching. Uh, I have many people in this city who are my people. And, And Luke tells us in Acts 18 that many came to the Lord, and a church was formed. And the apostle Paul stayed in Corinth for 18 months, a year and a half, day in, day out, preaching, pastoring, nurturing, encouraging. And then afterwards, Paul left Corinth and went to another major city. It wasn't a colony of Rome. It was a city of Rome called Ephesus. And he was there almost three years. So Paul went from Corinth to Ephesus. And Luke tells us in Luke uh, in Acts chapter 19 that uh, A fierce Bible teacher, a man of God named Apollos, went to Corinth. So you see what's happening? Paul's mission team is kind of branching out, uh, trying to nourish these young churches with pastoring and teaching and modeling. So now Paul is in Ephesus, and it's a couple of years later, and he's preaching and pastoring and establishing the church there, and then he's met by a group from a believer named Chloe, and the group says, Paul, we have a problem. Who's Chloe? Chloe, our best guess, is that she was a business merchant in Corinth, and her business associates maybe would come from Ephesus to Corinth and back and forth because Ephesus was an even larger city, and uh, Chloe's associates said, Paul, we have a problem here, and uh, Paul says, well, what's the problem? And, and when he, he finds out that there's divisions in the church, Paul just, well, this is why he wrote 1 Corinthians. And last week we saw that the word identity dominated verses 1 through 9. We are called in Christ. We're sanctified in Christ. We're enriched and confirmed and sustained to the end. All by Jesus. Nine times in nine verses, the name Jesus appears. So who we have in common far exceeds our differences. So having established our united identity in verse 10... Paul offers this tender-hearted yet authoritative appeal. He says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters. Appeal. Circle that word, appeal. It shows up in Luke 15, 28, the parable of the prodigal son. When the father goes out to appeal to the older brother to come in and celebrate the return of the younger brother. Paul is appealing to the Corinthians like family. So he uses the vocabulary of family. We need to use the vocabulary of family 
in our church. When we, when we study together or worship together or serve together, we don't do so primarily as American citizens or Illinoisans. We do so as family in Christ. You must know the most important development in the Roman Empire between the Emperor Augustus and the Emperor Constantine, the most important development between the Emperor Augustus and the Emperor Constantine, that 300-year period, the most important development was the rise of Christianity. I mean, non-Christian historians affirm that. The reason why Christianity grew 40% per decade for nearly 300 years had to do with how Christians saw themselves and one another. They saw themselves as family. Family. Family loyalty, family identity, family love, family sharing. So Paul speaks to this congregation this church as brothers and sisters, tender-hearted and authoritative. <laughs> I appeal to you by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's authoritative. <laughs> and here's the appeal. Verse 10, please share the same mindset. Share the same attitude. I want you all to see that we're on the same side. I don't want there to be any first-class seating or second-class seating or economy seating. There's just seats. There's no first-class group, second-class group, in-group, out-group. We're just a group. We're the congregation, the ecclesia, the called-out ones. That's who we are. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and same judgment. Now, Paul is not saying, starting next week in church, we're all going to wear uniforms. Okay? He, he's not saying, you know, I want you to wear the same clothes, eat the same foods, have the same opinions, and go to the same barbershop. He's, he's not appealing for uniformity or homogeneity. He's not. And how do I know this? Well, just, just flip over a few pages to 1 Corinthians 7, 17. Within the context of believers who are wondering, Paul, should I marry or should I not? Uh, should I remain unmarried? Uh, you know, well, what should I do? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, 17. Let each person lead the life that the Lord assigned to him and to which God has called him. The implication, there will be differences. Uh, keep flipping over. In uh, 1 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10, Paul talks about the conscience. The conscience. So some believers in Corinth purchased meat that had been sold at pagan temples. And some felt guilty about this because they'd come from a pagan background. And when they consumed that kind of meat, it reminded them of a past that they really wanted to forget. 
Well, other Corinthians felt no guilt at all. It's meat. Meat is meat. So who's right? Paul says, both of you. <laughs> both of you. you. What you need to do, though, is you need to be sensitive in how you practice your freedom of conscience. Oh, and then keep going. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's, a, it's about gifts and abilities that believers have. And the implication is, well, the instruction is, we, we belong to one body, but we have different members. We have different members. So, so Paul isn't pressing for homogeneity, church family. He wants harmony. And in verse 11, Paul says, For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. And verse 12 uh, contains really the core problem. Literally, verse 12 says, Some of you are saying, I myself am of Paul. I am of Apollos. I am of Peter, or I am of Christ. Now, remember what I said earlier? Celebrities don't create celebrities. People do. So it's not like Apollos came over to Corinth and, you know, was trying to upstage Paul. No, no. You know, the parents can't be divided here. The kids are are trying to put the parents against one another. That ever happened in your household? Can I get an amen there? Am I the only one that this happened here as I preached to my boys through the camera? (laughs) Celebrities don't create celebrities. People do. And these Corinthians have taken servants of Christ and celebrified them. And when Paul finds this out, I mean, he just puts him on tilt. Look at verse 13. All of these questions are rhetorical questions, and the answer is, absolutely not. Is Christ divided? Absolutely not. Was Paul crucified for you? Absolutely not. Were you baptized in the name of Paul? (laughs) Absolutely not. And then it's like Paul says to think out loud here, you know, I I don't think I baptized in, okay, wait a minute, I baptized Crispus and Gaius and oh, oh yeah, yeah, and there's the household of Stephanus, uh, but I don't remember anybody else. So in other words, Paul's saying, I don't want anybody thinking that they're in a spiritually elite league because of who baptized them. That's not the point of baptism. What's the matter with you people? (laughs) Real letter, real people, written by a real person about a real problem. This is not fiction. This really happened. This church is under the threat of celebrification. Creating and following a celebrity cult so that you can feel significant by being a part of that in-group. So, so the implication of I myself am of Paul, the implication of that is, is oh, you're not? Well, what's wrong with you? What a pity. Well, you just, man, you just must not be as refined as I am or we are. I mean, can you hear the comparing? The pride, the arrogance, the othering that has occurred 
These Corinthians are making too much over certain leaders and leadership styles and speaking preferences. Now, how did this happen? Well, a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, when there was no internet and no PowerPoint and no screens, what did, what did people do? What did people do? Well, in Corinth, they would go to the games, athletic games, the Isthmian games, which occurred about every other year. It was a big deal in that city. They would also regularly go to the theater, and they would hear uh, orators and public speakers who would speak, and, and so some of these public speakers were actually teachers uh, looking for students. And that, that's what would happen back then. You would go and it was like a trial sermon for a pastor. And so these teachers would go and then they would present. And then, you know, you as a potential student would decide if you wanted to become a disciple of that particular teacher. And Corinth, because it was such a large city, would regularly feature orators and public speakers and, and, and to not only recruit students, but to entertain the crowds. And the most effective orators could very quickly size up a crowd and then adjust their talk in the moment and communicate a speech and they would adapt their presentation by quickly reading the crowd in order to achieve the desired result. And what was the desired result? Applause. Approval. And if they could pull it off, then the audience would be swayed. And the speaker would get credit. And the entire process rested kind of like an upside-down pyramid on the speaker. And sometimes the speaker would have time to prepare, but sometimes it was on short notice, uh, uh, extemporaneous or uh, impromptu. And I, when, I, when I was doing the research on this, it reminded me of, uh, you know, one of those reality cooking show competitions, right? Here's four mystery ingredients, and now go make a barbecue brisket and some side dishes. You have X amount of time. Go, right? And then you're judged, huh? Well, that kind of produces a competitive culture, wouldn't you say? That's what was going on in Corinth. It became competitive. It was cutthroat. And that culture began to infiltrate the congregation. And people began to take sides. I'd rather hear Apollos preach because he's mighty in word. Well, yes, he was, but he didn't come there to pit you against Paul. And as a result, a church united in Christ became a Christless Corinthian cliques. And personal preferences fractured the one people of God. And instead of a, an identity united, called, confirmed, and sanctified by Christ who will sustain you to the end, the church had quickly become a sectarian celebrity cult. Question. What is competing for our united identity in Christ? Okay, the history lesson's over. Let's get personal here. 
What's competing? In what ways do we commit celebrification? And why? Is that we want, is that we want to experience power? Or control? Or validation? Is it that we want others to think that we have it all together? Or we're in the right group? The Corinthians were seeking meaning. And they wanted to feel more privileged compared to others. And they were after validation in something outside themselves. Don't people do that? They attach themselves to celebrities that offer a vision of the world as they think it should be. And and some attach themselves to elite schools and jobs. And the problem is that Seeking after such validation is a never-ending quest because it never satisfies and it can end in absolute disaster. You remember last year, a scandal happened uh, over a criminal conspiracy to influence undergraduate admissions at some elite universities? Well, it's an example of Corinthian celebrification, self-validation. Recently, one actor was sentenced to two months in federal prison for her role in the college admissions scandal. She will serve two years of supervised release. She will perform 100 hours of community service. She will pay a fine of $150,000. Her husband, a co-defendant, received five months in prison, a $250,000 fine, and 250 hours of community service. And during the hearings, the judge scolded them both. Here's what he said. Looking at the two of them, here you are, an admired, successful, professional actor with a long-lasting marriage, two apparently healthy, resilient children, more money than you could possibly need, a beautiful home in sunny Southern California, a fairy tale life, yet you stand before me a convicted felon. And for what? For the inexplicable desire to grasp even more. That's Corinth. That's Corinth. The inexplicable desire to grasp for more. Man, I mean, my heart just aches. Uh, when I hear that phrase. The inexplicable desire to grasp for more. You know what? I'll tell you, there's enough flesh that's still wiggling on the cross in my heart that I could be that person. Oh, Jesus, save me. Church, I want us to think, I I want us to think, I want us to think. I want us to think biblically, I want us to think critically. When I am observing someone, what am I really seeing? Especially when it comes to this issue of celebrity and fame. And what am I really seeing? What am I really observing? 
And, and what, what is this person doing to their admirers? What's the effect? And, and what kind of people are the admirers becoming because of this person? The problem of celebrification. Well, Paul says that the solution to the problem of celebrification is crucifixion. The answer to Corinthian celebrity is the undiluted preaching of the cross of Jesus. Verse 17, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to gospelize, to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So Paul did not offer an airbrushed image of comfort-laced celebrity spirituality. Instead, he gospelized about the bloody, criminal, shame-covered, torturing, scandalous cross of Jesus Christ. To the Corinthian status seekers, Paul offered the Christ who was insulted, mocked, ridiculed, scorned, derided, and then nailed like a piece of meat to wood. And then he was stabbed with a spear to see if he was really dead. To the image-conscious Corinthians, Paul says, this is your God. That's your God. Christianity is the worship of the crucified and resurrected king. It's not a rate my professor experience. And when we make it that, the cross is gutted of its power. <laughs> There's a reason why we have preached through the fruit of the Spirit this year. Love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The Holy Spirit producing such fruit in and through our lives creates a sweet unity. There's a, there's a reason why we spent time there. There's a reason why we spent time this past summer preaching through the Lord's Prayer. And there's a reason why we say it together as one body. And there's a reason why we preached through the Apostles' Creed earlier this year. It's, it's, it's because we must be united in matters of first importance. First importance. It's not to say that there aren't matters of second and third and fourth importance. And it's not to say that those aren't important. Those aren't first in line. The Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. 
I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy universal global Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen? Amen. Question, are the words Democrat or Republican in that creed? Did either presidential candidate die for your sins? Were any of you baptized in their names? Then there's no reason for us to be divided, is there? Regarding this election, decide now how you will respond to whatever happens. And you decide based on the apostles. How, you decide how you're going to treat someone else who might think differently from you. Decide now how you're going to respond to whatever happens. And by the way, let me tell you what's going to happen. Got your attention now. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. The Apostle Paul says to these believers, Don't you know that the saints will judge the world? Our future, beloved, is a resurrected body on a resurrected earth, worshiping and serving the resurrected Christ. When the kingdoms of this world become the kingdom of our God, then shall the redeemed and resurrected saints, that's us, reign with him forever and ever. So then, when we fixate over matters that are not of first importance, the cross is gutted of its power. The power of the cross of Christ is our only adhesive. And on the cross, Christ was divided so that we may no longer be divided. On the cross, Christ was emptied so that we may no longer be empty. Christ self Emptying is the source of our fullness. And so now we're no longer searching for celebrity identity because we've been filled with the fullness of God in Christ who has given us a new identity out of which we are free to embrace one another in love. That's why Paul says at the conclusion of 1 Corinthians, let everything you do be done in love. A restored vertical relationship puts all good things in their proper place. And so now, you know, now work is work. And no more. Work is work. And food is food. And parenting is parenting. And an election is election. Okay? And is it important? Are these important? Well, yeah, I need to eat. I like work. But these things can't save me. 
They're they're wonderful gifts, but they're terrible gods. And when Christ is my identity, I never ask something else to be my Messiah. He's my Messiah. So I, I plead with us, church family. I plead with us. Don't give Chloe's people any reason to think that we here at Windsor Road are divided. Instead, let the report be that we are living in deep, sweet, undivided, Christ-saturated unity. Let the report be that we are holding fast to the great caller. The great sovereign and royal caller. The one who said, Lazarus, come forth. The one who said, let light shine out of darkness. The one who calls things into existence that which did not exist. Well, wouldn't it be just like God to choose a time like this to bring the greatest awakening, the greatest in gathering of souls, the greatest giving, the greatest sending, the greatest season of signs and wonders, the greatest worship impact on the world. Wouldn't it be if this season were, were that? Only God could do that. Do you not agree? I, I read a great article this week. It's titled, 2020 is a great year for the church. The author says, we are not the church of Chicken Little, but the church of Jesus Christ. We do not run around screaming that the sky is falling. There is no panic in heaven. Jesus has no sweaty armpits as he surveys the world. Over the chaos of this world reigns the King of Kings, Jesus the Resurrected. And one day, every knee will bow, like it or not. Every government authority now, presidents, kings, prime ministers, you name it, they're in lame duck administrations. Their time is ending. Put not your trust in politicians or parties or ballot boxes. Christ and his kingdom are everlasting. And into that kingdom, he calls us all to find forgiveness and life and peace. 2020 is a great year for the church. Amidst the cacophony of craziness, it's our opportunity to focus on the voice of Jesus, to say with young Samuel in the Old Testament, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And what is he telling us to do? <laughs> the same thing he's been telling us for the last 2,000 years. All authority has been given to me, therefore go, make disciples, baptize teach and know that he is with us a mighty warrior strong to save what Jesus said to Paul in Corinth is what he says to us do not be afraid keep on preaching and teaching for there are many people in this city there are many people in Champaign-Urbana Jesus says who are mine 
You preach the word. I'll bring them in. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. 2020 will end, as will this dying world. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, the church of Jesus Christ, called, confirmed, enriched, and kept by Jesus himself, will never end. Amen. Church family, please make Jesus your boast, not your celebrity.